powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Cup Final, and it's over. The Colorado Avalanche are your Stanley Cup champions in what was maybe the best playoff series I've ever watched. Now, I just remembered I'm supposed to do an ad spot on this, so I'm going to have to find that ad copy because there's a special one for the Avs winning the Cup. But I, before I do that, I got to introduce my amazing guest, Allison Lucan, who is, in my opinion, the best analyst in the oh. business. So it's so fortuitous and perfect that the Cup is won tonight where I get Allison on the show. How are you, Allison? Well, I'm very humbled. The check is in the mail for that kind introduction. I am... This was the minute this series got set. I was so excited for what we might get. And I'm with you. This was, this is peak hockey, right? Like this is just why we love it. It was just amazing. I feel bad for the lightning. That's how good this series was. Like it's just, but it was great. It was a great series through and through. Yeah. I think everyone wanted seven games, but at the same time, having it end in a close game is almost as good. Like I'm glad that it wasn't like a five nothing game where we knew what was going to happen from the second period. It was a nail biter down to the final seconds where everybody, all the lightning fans are already complaining about the, the not icing call at the end there, which I think it's because Hedman started to slow down and the linesman was like, nah, 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 you gotta, you gotta skate for it. What did, what was your take on the icing? Yeah, I mean, at that point, honestly, like there was so much in this game and listen, this series too, right? That was just, and after round one, when like every other second there was a a penalty called, there was a lot of letting them play. And I can't put myself in the mind of the officials. What the one thing I didn't like here was I didn't like a lot of the griping from Tampa Bay, if I'm being honest, because I think with all due respect to Tampa Bay, I think they deserve to be ranked among the top teams, particularly of recent hockey history. What they've done is incredible. But that third period was definitively for the Avs. And Tampa Bay could not answer with their play in any aspect of the game. And so it it wasn't going to come down to one call, right? Like this was not the difference-making play. So this is where I hate debating the ticky-tacky calls or non-calls. Yeah, 100%. All right, uh, I want to continue on that thread. But before I do, I got to... Talk about sports interaction because we are sponsored by sports interaction. So get more ways to play on every sport. Baseball, golf, and Canadian football are in full swing. The action starts at sports interaction, Canada's sports book bet before the game starts live in play or one of our many prop bets doing it right. Since 1997 sports interaction makes it easy to deposit play and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer head to sportsinteractioncom SDPN. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn 19 plus please play responsibly and if you are prone to addictive behaviors there are links in the description of this video and every video on sdpn that's sponsored by sports interaction to help you get the help you need to disconnect all right so the lightning griping this has been something that i've been on all playoffs because it reminds me of like the peak uh of the detroit red wings when they were like the team to beat every year and Every play that happened, you had Iserman in people's ears, Lidstrom, Maltby, Draper. Like it was that leadership court, Shanahan. They were all in people's ears and they got calls because of it. I feel like Tampa Bay got a lot of calls because of it or non calls on the other team or on themselves in this series. But you're right. It was really egregious the last couple of games. And I pointed it out a couple of times on Twitter and like John Cooper as well. 
after every goal. They're like constantly litigating everything, right? And everyone's like, yeah, you know, he's he's a lawyer. And it's like, I know he's a lawyer, but you can really <laughs> tell he's a lawyer. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and even like, again, we go back to this. Did one call make or break a lot of these situations? I mean, Pat Maroon literally breaks his stick over a player's skate. That's egregious. I mean, that, and, you know, what I here's what I don't like about the griping. Here's what I don't like about that is it's this team is so good. This Tampa Bay team really is so good. Don't detract from what you are by letting your frustration. You have overcome, like what I've been impressed with by Tampa Bay, this entire playoffs has been honestly the intangibles. They have shown a will to push through some really incredible obstacles. They've shown a will to come back. I particularly go back to game three against New York where they just seem to flip a switch and all of a sudden they're on and they're winning and they're not going to be denied. And so that's why this behavior to me detracts because in my opinion, they knew what was going on on the ice at that point. They could feel what was happening. They know how beat up they are. They know what was happening with players leaving and coming and going and all of this. Don't start playing poor hockey to detract from how you go out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I think you've got something like you've really nailed it on the head there in that they could feel what was happening and the exhaustion and the injuries are setting in because what's impressed me most about the lightning this year is like, I, I thought they looked out of gas in the first round against mm -hmm. Toronto yep, and like, totally. yeah, they played a great uh, game seven, especially after point went out like defensively, they just shut it down but they are not the lightning that we saw last year and the year before where like you let your guard down for a second and they score five goals. They didn't have that punch this year and maybe losing, you know, the entire Gord Goudreau uh, Coleman line was a big part of that, but they put a great third line together on the fly at the trade deadline. But uh, this team just, it, they refuse to quit and having that impossible sheer determination undercut by the whininess it leaves a sour taste a hundred percent and you know what's interesting to me what also kind of speaks to this team being generated by different power if you will this year i think vasileski really was even more noticeable this playoffs because he did have to do a lot more not necessarily because he was facing more shots or more quality shots per se but because his team in front of him wasn't generating as much as they usually do. And this is a compliment. I do mean it this way, but Steven Stamkos has rarely been more noticeable to me. And that's a compliment to his game, to him stepping up. But again, it speaks to players that we're used to talk about, that we're used to seeing drive this train. And of course, point was out. But, you know, we're seeing Stamkos be the guy. Where was everybody else? And it was just, again, I think... And, and people talk about it. I can only imagine it. I know how tired I am covering playoffs as a media member, and I'm certainly not doing a tenth of what these actual athletes are doing. I can't imagine the fatigue of going through this three years in a row, particularly under the circumstances Tampa Bay has gone. But they, they just it, they just couldn't pull it together enough to get over this final hurdle against, let's not forget, Colorado was my pick at the start of the season. A tremendous team. Kale McCarr is a vision I mean, this team is is a special, special group. Yeah, I think they've been my pick the last three seasons, and I, I'm just very happy that my boy Arik has a Stanley yep. Cup ring eventually. Obviously, they won't have it yet, but uh, gets to carry around that Stanley Cup, gets his day with the Cup. For those who don't know, Arik Parnas uh, works for the Colorado Avalanche, their analytics department. 
I hired him way back in the day at Hab's Eyes on the Prize when I was the managing editor there. So apparently uh, I have some decent foresight in terms of hires. Take total credit for that. That's totally you. 100% you all me. Not our... <laughs> no, Arik's a, a brilliant man. Uh, went to Georgetown. Uh, absolutely deserves every bit of this. And just like to bring it back to the Habs a little bit, because obviously that's my zone where I start from. Arturi Lekkinen as well yep. follows in Lars Eller's footsteps, traded by the Canadians in that same season, scores the cup-winning goal. Was never fully appreciated in Montreal, in my opinion. Same as Lars Eller, guy who does all the little things. And uh, I just man, in that third period, that might have been the best hockey he's ever played. He was just yeah. an absolute demon on the puck. Well, and you know, it was funny. I, I pulled it up here because Chris Johnston actually had a great tweet let me find it here where he was calling him even before the game was over he said just call him Arturi big goal Lekkonen scored twice in the clincher when for Lunda HC won in 2016 had the OT winner to send Montreal to the 21 Stanley Cup the OT winner to send Colorado to the Stanley Cup and then he noted here but what as you just said scored ultimately the cup winning goal and I just think that's I mean Good for him, man. And it, what a this is how legends get made. John Tortorella, John, John Tortorella always said it's the playoffs where you make your reputation, where you make your legend statement. And these are the things people remember. It's not necessarily everything that happened in the 82 games, unless you're like you or me and we're watching a specific team and really honing in. This is when all the eyes are on you. And and this is statement play from the, that player. Yeah, 100%. And I knew, like, I remember in the draft profiles back when I had a lot more time to spend on draft prospects. Like he was a guy that I wanted the Canadians to draft back when I cheered for the team. And I remember thinking like he was going to be a good player, going to be a decent score just based on his numbers in Forlunda. But the moment that I knew that he was going to be one of those guys who like is an absolute warrior in the playoffs was in the world juniors. When Finland won that, uh, the, the first, I think it was their first gold medal in their streak that they're on kind of still where they win every other year. He blocked a shot in like the first game and broke his ankle mm. and continued to play. And in the gold medal game, he blocked another shot and broke his other ankle. <laughs> and if you go and find the pictures from that Finnish team winning the gold medal, they're pushing Arturi around in a shopping cart because Amazing. he couldn't walk. <laughs> Amazing. He's celebrating with the team. And I'm like, that's Arturi Lekkonen in a nutshell. He will do absolutely anything and i think to be fair to tampa bay i feel like all the guys on their roster for the last three years have that attitude and that's part of what makes them such an incredible team but uh let's talk about the game a little bit allison because you're such an excellent analyst and <laughs> i was following along and taking some notes and one of the things that you pointed out was one of the first things that i noticed as well in the first period where tampa bay had much more control they had control of that neutral zone mm-hmm Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, whenever I even snap clips to post on social with all credit to people who put stuff on TV or put stuff on social, it's never just the goal to me. Right. I mean, those are beautiful and those should be appreciated, but there's so much that leads up to a goal. And sometimes those people who are named to get assists or secondary assists, those weren't really the plays that made the goal happen. And right before Stamkos gets that goal, play transitions into the neutral zone and Colorado cannot shift it all the way out of the neutral zone in their way. They confounded Colorado Tampa Bay did. They were able to regain possession and then push back in. 
So, you know, it's that, and it's those little things where you start to feel the edge, you start to tilt the ice, you have a little bit more energy, you feel control, you build confidence. And when you lay the talent that the Tampa Bay team has on top of it, like you say, then you're able to execute. But it was that shift in saying we're determining how play is being played versus just taking what's given to us that led to Stamkos' goal there. Yeah, and that's like I called before the game that I thought this was going to be the Nathan McKinnon game, right? Mm. Because he's just been so frustrated this whole series. And, you know, he's getting shots, but yep. not necessarily the shots that he wants to get. And he's not he's not driving the net through the first five games like we are used to seeing Nathan McKinnon do. And in this first period, I was like, well, I'm I was definitely going to be wrong on that because the lighting had him like almost breaking his stick on plays. Yep. He was he looked visibly frustrated. And then the second period, I got to be right a little bit again because he came through and he was closer to what we expect him to be. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that this is what we talk about when we say learn to win. Right. This team had to learn a lot. And I think this is what we saw in game five, where Colorado was a lot more timid than we were used to seeing across the board. And what's interesting to me, I actually made a note here on Lekkonen's game winner. McKinnon almost it basically like fumbles a pass, right? But still ends up getting the helper there. It, it, it's more about just continuing to push through and letting the game come to you. We know how intense McKinnon is. He gets a lot of crap for his quotes about not eating carbs and never having fun. But I think he had to settle into continuing to push out those outside voices and also realize what people like me talk about, which is sometimes you have to play the way you're supposed to play and you don't get the results. You have to hope that they come because the law app, the law of averages is sometimes in your favor and sometimes it's not. But he he settled in, and I think this is where again, when the team around you is settling in as well, you can start to get back to yourself. Also, yeah, hundred percent. I didn't see how many gate how many shots he got tonight, but I know he had twenty shots in his last three games coming into this one. You could tell that it was starting to wind up for him, and yep. things were starting to turn. He got the the lucky bounce off of his skate, which I think when you are doing the right things is often when you get those bounces. 100%. So good for McKinnon that he stuck with it. Yeah, another seven shots tonight. So. I was just going to say, seven shots, 10 shot attempts. Holy. That's 27 crazy. shots last four games of the series for Nathan McKinnon. That's a few. That's just a bit. Pretty yeah. good, it seems. A little bit intense, for sure. And that neutral zone log jam that the Lightning were able to create in that first period, I feel like the the all the Avalanche were able to do that in the third period. And that's what mm-hmm. kind of generated they not necessarily just in the neutral zone. It seemed to me like both blue lines, the avalanche were setting up incredible traps for the lightning and they just kept on falling into it. I thought Kadri had some great takeaways at the offensive blue line, Lekkonen, uh Landeskog and on the defensive blue line, the avalanche just were not letting the lightning through at all. For sure. And for me, this was a um, um, meeting of both the tactics and also the overall physical edge. And I don't mean just body play to body. I mean, energy level. I mean, overall health, you know, that third period, really the second period went, started to go the abs way. And even if you looked at the underlying numbers, even that first period was slightly tilted towards Colorado's advantage. Then they control the second, they get the results. And that third period, again, as we started this whole conversation, Tampa knew what was happening. Tampa understood 
what was going to go on here. And it was that ability to have the energy to be in the right position, to have the energy to make the right play, to have the energy to go that extra inch, to take the puck off an opponent's stick or to deny their possession or to break up that pass. So it was both the systems and again, just that overall health level that I think Colorado had there, the advantage in both, both parts of the equation. Yeah. I I'm with you hundred percent. And someone asking, did McKinnon get a goal? Yeah. He scored the first one. He scored the first one and then uh, set up like it in for the second one. Yep. It was a it was a big game for for Nathan McKinnon who had struggled to establish himself uh, throughout this series. Well, I mean, I don't want to struggle to establish himself on the scoreboard. We'll say because exactly you yes. got to look beyond the scoreboard a little bit. But uh, yeah, I I was incredibly impressed with him and also Bowen Byram. How much of a joy has it been to watch him like just ice in his veins, cool setting up that first McKinnon goal. And then just his story. Yeah. The concussions nearing retirement this year at the beginning of the year. And then this, like this level that, you know, pie in the sky, best case scenario, what we've seen of Bowen Byram in the playoffs this year is what people wanted from him when he was drafted and 21 years old, almost out of the league. And he's doing this. It's maybe the best story of the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, you shouted out Arik earlier. And I think what people always say, what's going to come out of this? What's the lesson learned? What's everyone going to copy from this cup winning team? And what I'm really intrigued right now by is how this team was built, right? Because you have people like Arik, you have people like Dawson Springens, who's also in there in the analytics side of things. You have a tremendous GM and you have a really strong assistant GM who I think is going to be a GM sometime soon. And that's Chris McFarland, who when you watch their talent acquisition choices, both amateur and pro, they've really built this in a very strategic way. And I think it was Gabriel Landeskog that said after the game, when he was asked how you repeat this, and he said, go get yourself a Kale McCarr. Right. Well, I mean, that's obviously easier said than done, but I'm really intrigued to dig into how this team was built, who was brought in, how were they brought in and why were they brought in? Because building the right team is, of course, about getting elite talent, but it's also about getting the right players for the right roles so they can complement opportunity like this. Yeah, that you're so right. Like it's filling those puzzle pieces. Right. And Lekkinen for a long time has been a guy that I've looked at as he's not a first line player in a traditional sense, but he's a guy who can be put with someone like McKinnon and Landeskog. And you can say Landeskog doesn't have to do the forechecking anymore. Right. McKinnon doesn't necessarily have to be first back on D because Lekkinen is going to do that and he's going to tire himself out and he's going to create opportunities for those other guys. He's not going to score maybe even like in a good season like 50 points, you know, like that's, that's crazy for Arturi Lekkinen to be able to accomplish, but he's going to make everybody else around him better. And I feel like that's a position that the Colorado avalanche with him and Nikushkin, who obviously had a spectacular breakout year this year, a little bit uh, higher offensive ceiling than Lekkinen. They've found those players very effectively. I think that like Tampa Bay is also a team that's excellent at that as building a third line on the fly at the deadline is evidence of, but teams that are able to do that are going to be the elite teams of the next decade. Yeah. And I think you hit on something really key there. Cause I think this is the case with Nishushkin too, who is our dear friend, Shana Goldman's one of her favorite shining stars. Um, but here's the thing is, is that versatility. 
And again, in a long cup run, you're going to have injuries. We saw both teams here deal with significant losses. Some players were able to come back. Some players were not. And, you know, that was, again, if you listen to what is being said publicly, that was the challenge for Tampa when they lost to Columbus was they had that elite talent, but they needed to build this third line. And for whatever reason that gave them that grit factor, that sandpaper factor rounded out the way that they played, but it was still just one line. And as you said, they had to rebuild it this year. And I think Colorado's pieces have a little bit more versatility in that they can go up and down the lineup and bring the identity of the avalanche to multiple lines where it's not that this line has to be this to then complement this line that has to be this. There was a lot more meshability for the Colorado forwards in particular, and I think that was a big key for them. You're right, because throughout this series, it seemed like if they needed some offense on that top line, they could throw a Rantanen out there, or they could mm-hmm. throw Nakushkin out there with uh, with McKinnon and, and Landis Gog, and they didn't hesitate away from rolling that stuff around, you know? At one point, I know it was a line change, but they had a line out that was Kadri Lekkinen and Nakushkin out at the same time. And I just looked at that line and I was like, who wants to deal with that? Right. <laughs> Between exactly. the four checking and the speed and the agitation, that's annoying. Yes. Yes. And, you know, again, I mean, these are all smart players. It's not like they can't figure this stuff out on the fly, but changing up those combinations challenges your defense too. And again, we're talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're not going to be like, oh, no, we don't know what to do just because it's three different forwards. But again, you have to think a little bit more about who's going to be F1, who's going to be F2, who's going to play, particularly when it's Kadri, right? Because we know that they were using him a little bit differently to protect that hand. So again, that versatility gives you even just perhaps a split second here or there to challenge on the attack, which could ultimately lead to a goal. 100%. There's a comment here saying that uh, Kale McCarr is a third defenseman in NHL history to win the Norris and the Conn Smythe in the same season. I hadn't even thought of that. Who are the other two? Maybe Lidstrom? Probably. I mean, I assume Lidstrom in 2002. Bobby Orr, maybe? Oh. Someone smarter than us will tell us. Someone yeah. tell us in the comments. Somebody in the, in the stream chat there looked that up for me. Uh, but, yeah, okay, someone says Orr and Lidstrom. That's there some lofty company. Yeah. <laughs> and and here- but here's why I like, here's why I like Kale McCarr. So I'm, you know, I'm not alone in this, but I love that he's challenging the traditional definition of a defenseman, right? 100%. And he's doing it really well. And we started to see this a few years ago. Zach Wierenski has started to do this. Adam Fox has started to do this perhaps a little bit, but this idea of you're not just a defensive defenseman or an offensive defenseman. Some coaches have called these players rovers. And I really like that if we really sit back and look at how Kale McCarr plays and what he does, I would suggest he is a hockey player. He is not just a <laughs> defender because I, and I want that. I want this challenge to take hockey to the next level to say, let's put players in roles to succeed. Of course, we have to eventually cover all the responsibilities on the ice, but I really like that. He's challenging us to say defense is something really different than historically. We thought it was a hundred percent. And I love watching Kale McCarr play. It's it's truly a joy, and at the same time, as I'm so appreciative of what he brings to the game, I'm also appreciative that Jared Bednar is a coach that lets him fly, because I feel like there's a lot of coaches around the league that would try to put a seatbelt on him a little bit and uh, calm some of his more adventurous instincts, we'll say. And it seems to me like the... 
I'm trying to think of the proper word, but the the baseline in the NHL is changing a little bit in terms of what is allowed and what is uh, focused on from coaching. And you can see it like when I worked for using private data, you could see starting in like 2015 that teams shot from kind of everywhere. And then every year things moved closer and closer and closer into the net as it was discovered that, Hey, if you shoot from in closer to the net, especially this little diamond right in front of it, you score a lot more goals. Almost half of all goals are scored from there. So why don't we shoot from there? And then there started to be as more discussion of the, the Royal road passing came in. Now there's a lot more passing to and through the slot than there was five, six, seven years ago. Shooting percentage way up, you know, goaltenders, even though they're better every year, their save percentages relatively stagnant or going down a little bit. I hope that Kale McCarr is the standard bearer of a new era of what a defenseman for sh- will say should be a hundred percent. And I, you know, what's interesting. And I said this on Twitter, it may not have been this series. It may have been the last series, but um, of course, Jared Bednar, you know, he deserves a ton of credit here. He's now a champion at every single level, at which he's coached and his AHL title came when he was with the Lake Erie monsters. Um, now the Cleveland monsters and that Calder cup year was when Zach Wierenski left Michigan and joined the Monsters team for their trophy win, trophy run. And in Michigan, Zach Wierenski certainly had offensive behavior that he was showing, but he was still holding on to a more traditional defensive role. And so in many ways, of course, under the guidance of a lot of leadership from the Columbus organization at that time, Jared Bednar set up Zach Wierenski to start changing the way he played. And to become this rover identity versus even just an offensive defenseman. So Jared Bednar has practice and success unlocking the potential in a defender who can truly play this way. Yeah, that's I love it. I love it. More coaches like Jared Bednar in this league. And to think of what happened in his first season is crazy to think. I think it was only five years ago, wasn't it? That the avalanche. Yeah had Patrick Watt quit on them right before training camp and Jared yep. Bender just got handed this pile of trash to yep. try to fix. And it was, it was a rough one, but all the work that they've put in over the last few years has come to fruition. It's, it's beautiful to watch such a fantastic Stanley cup final it, like this. It's, I mean, I am happy for Canadians fans that they had that run last year. You know, Dallas was, Fun last year or the year before as well. I love a Cinderella story, but to have two legitimately era defining talent teams go head to head is just another level. And on that note, uh, Allison, I will ask you the Tampa Bay Lightning, where do you rank them in the salary cap era and all time? Great question. So, salary cap era, I mean, they could be the best team of the salary cap era. I mean, you know, I am not here for any people who are putting asterisks on any of their cups. Um, I believe both of those championships were very, very, very difficult, even if it wasn't an 82 game season and all of this. Um, I'm not team asterisks. Uh, Like I said, I actually started to want them to win with the way that they were pushing through this playoff run Um, all time. I mean, then you start to look at those Islanders teams. You start to look at those Red Wings teams. Um, Top five, maybe we'll go top five and then people can yell at me about it later. Yeah, it's it's hard to compare historically, right? Because the salary cap changes everything. 
the pace the game is played at is so different now. I feel like their best comparable is the New York Islanders, as you mentioned, not just because they're the first team since the Islanders to go to the Stanley Cup final three years in a row, just in terms of the attrition of playing in so many series. Like, uh, I know that the broadcast here pointed out, like, back in the conference final, I think, that the the Islanders won 19 playoff series in a row, which is a record that will likely never be beaten. Insane. It. I can't even imagine that. And to have the swagger that you must have at that point, you must feel like you're never going to lose. But I feel like the lightning had that, but battling through COVID through injuries, through compressed seasons, doing it this year without Braden point, the first year without Steven Stamkos and last year through, you know, short summers. And frankly, I know people will like to point out that they were over the cap, but Nikita Kucherov was not 100% for the first two series last year, at least. Yep. Like, yeah, he came back to play in the playoffs, but lots. The, I feel like the difference between able to play and able to play in the playoffs is very different for, for NHLers. Yeah. And yeah, he was getting some power play points, but at even strength, he looked rough. I just, the, I'm so impressed by that team top to bottom. And I love to see two franchises that, promote excellence from top to bottom get rewarded over the last three years. Absolutely. And again, you know, that's because of the salary cap, even though the lightning are two-time cup champions, it's interesting because in my opinion, the year that they dominated the league the most was that 2019 year when they were swept in the first round. Yep. That was the year that they were this unstoppable force And so, you know, again, there's so much that can happen. There's so much that can come and go depending on, and, and let's talk about this too. Among these two cup wins, it wasn't even in the same divisions that that they had to play. So arguably they had to win through two completely different cuts of the league. If you ultimately it was still, you know, well, except for Canada, I mean, that was all cut up, but there's so much difficulty to do what they did and I like that these are two teams that everyone saw that were strong and coming on and proved it with these intense runs where there wasn't really like, oh, but except for this, it wasn't like this team is great, except for their specialty teams. This team is great, except for their goaltending. These teams were, as you said, well-built through and through in all the key pillars of the game. And that's what made it special because they were so good, but also it's not like they've just been knocking teams off left and right for so long that we didn't even think it mattered anymore. Yeah, and to have them have to beat each other is is like the the cherry on top, right? And yeah, I, I feel like the closest thing you could get to having like one of these teams having something that's not quite good is the goaltending in Colorado. But I feel like a lot of that comes down to the fact that Kemper was injured yep. in these playoffs, right? He he hurt his eye. I think he had another injury coming into the playoffs as well. He was questionable to start. Mm. So we we definitely have to put some asterisk on his play. I know that he was great tonight. Uh, I thought and pretty great the last two games as well. Yep. Had had yep. a couple maybe stoppable ones go by him that you don't want to see in a Stanley cup final, but overall he wouldn't be necessarily a reason why they would lose. I would say as much as at the beginning of the series, it kind of looked like he might, <laughs> might have been. but Going toe-to-toe with Andre Vasilevsky and not being completely outclassed is not an easy thing to do. Exactly. And, and how many goals did Vasilevsky let in in game two? Was it seven? Is mm-hmm. that right? I mean, so, 
And again, a lot, I'm not hanging that on Vassy completely either, but I think that you are, to your point, dealing with a comparison of one of the best goaltenders that we've seen in recent history against, this was not a Mike Smith situation. <laughs> this was, this was <laughs> a goaltender. I know, I'm sorry. But, you know, this, this is a goaltender that gave his team a chance to win and backstopped them as a primary player to getting the president's trophy as well. So this is, this is not a goaltender that had significant question marks. And I, for me, and again, I didn't watch Colorado every single game, so I'm owning that. But for me, it wasn't like this was a team where I was hearing question marks about their goaltending all season. They started to rise as the postseason came along. And to your point, I think it's really important. You know, we know what happens after any, any team is done. You hear this laundry list of everyone who was broken and barely holding things together with scotch tape and paper clips. We still don't really know what the extent of that iron injury was. And even if the eye was fine, was there swelling? Were there other complications? I mean, I know if I sleep on my eye wrong and I wake up, it takes a while to get my vision back. So um, I definitely was, was he at Vasilevsky's level? Of course not, but who has been? Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think he gave his team a chance. Um, He led in some bad ones. Arguably, so did Vasilevsky. Even in uh, the was it the New York series when they came off rest, and it was rough for a while there. So we're here. I'm not going to hang anything on him. I think he played well. Yeah, I mean, speaking of eye injuries, I don't know if you can. No, it's this one. I don't know if you can see. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's not great. <laughs> no, it's it, it doesn't hurt. I uh, blew a couple blood vessels in there, but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I guess the only guy really in the last few seasons who's matched Vasilevsky. I mean maybe the Islanders, but uh, Shesterkin, I think is the, the only one who's significantly outplayed him. I would agree. And he's just the next one. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's tough to judge too much from one season, but watching him in the playoffs, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. He's, he's a special player and that's a team, you know, again, when we look at, I'm really intrigued and I'll shout out our friend Shana again, she did this really compelling article where she looked at the different ownership groups what has each contributed in terms of building this roster to make them a possible Stanley cup contender. And this is again, a team where I think it's going to be really interesting. They're going to be really good soon. And how did they become that? What were the pieces that were put in place when, by whom, how it's going to be really interesting because that's, and Dallas as well. Right. I mean, there's another special goaltender to watch in terms of watching teams play from the net out and build from the net out. Yeah, I doing those game over Calgary streams with with the guys and watching them just be broken after <laughs> every game where Jake Ottinger would make like fifty eight saves in sixty oh. minutes. That was a performance for the ages. If he yeah. would have seen a second round and had that same level, like that's cons my territory. Not even making the conference final. Like he was so incredible. This year has had so many playoff performances that have tipped the scales of like what's possible between Ottinger, Shesterkin, you know, McDavid and, and Dreisaitl, you know, Makar, of course, but even the teams that didn't make the final, I feel like this is the best playoffs I've seen in a long time. And the last few years have been pretty great. Yeah, I agree. I have not, I mean, every round was must watch. It was, it was important to, you know, to leave work game starting here, you know, particularly if we're on the West coast game start works, not necessarily over yet. So, but it was important to watch every single game. And that round one was almost too frustrating because you couldn't get everything into your brain and process it. And again, it's been a long time that any series 
has had me as excited as this final. And I think that's, again, a statement to how this whole playoffs went. And even when you had your picks, you know, Ottinger is a great example. Even the LA Kings is a great example. We were never 100% sure how a series was going to go. And even that Battle of Alberta, even though that was a sweep, those games were compelling. It was never just like, ah, we see what's happening here. We're done. So I think that's part of it too. There was never a given, in my opinion, uh, throughout any of the rounds of play. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I'm just trying to think, uh, I think, uh, the flames, they had, they had the gentleman's sweep there where they took, they scored nine goals on, uh, Smith and Koskinen in the first game. But other than, I feel like the first round, we, every year, I feel like there's this debate between the NBA and the NHL. And I don't want to disrespect either because I, I feel like both of them are just fantastic products on the court and on the ice. But we always hear about how, like, in the NBA, the final is the be-all, end-all. And in the NHL, it's the first round. Mm. But this year, I feel like we got both for the first time in a very, very long time. And I just feel like this is such a great potential moment for the game of hockey. I hope they capture it and bottle it because we are trending in the right direction in terms of the, the on ice product, but I think we could fast forward a little bit so that we can get this kind of thing repeating over and over again. For sure. And in the States, you know, this is part of why that ESPN partnership is such a big deal is that, you know, this Stanley cup final ran on one of the major networks. It's very accessible. It's in your face. ESPN is making it part of their regular programming. I've, it's been a long time since regardless, I've done some traveling this off season and I've been in a bunch of different cities And NHL scores are always on the score ticker at the bottom of a news broadcast. And it's been a long time since I feel like hockey was just commonplace. It's been a long time since if I've been in a hotel bar or out to eat and there are TVs on that you didn't have to ask to have at least one hockey game put on. And I think it's an important time. And and I will say this. I think that in addition to the play and in addition to the marketing, I think this is why it's so important for the NHL to really start to get in touch with the dynamics of what their fan base wants away from the ice, both in terms of building these players' personalities and reflecting the issues that are important socially to particularly the younger fan, because that is another reason, in my opinion, why groups or you know organizations like the NBA are becoming so successful because fans see themselves in them and they feel that their interests are represented off the court as well as on. And I think that's the next big hurdle for the NHL if they want to really become, especially in the States, a contender for one of the biggest major sports in the area. Yeah. The the hockey does need to focus more on marketing individual players over just the brand that is teams. And I, I don't know if this is true anymore. A friend of mine told me earlier today that the NHL is the only of the major sports in the U.S., uh, to not have any player speak on the uh, Supreme Court decision for striking down Roe versus Wade. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, yes, speaking out about things that matter to young people. And yeah. as much as that's you know serious thing to talk about for a post-game show and slightly pivot a little bit, but connect, talking about connecting with younger fans and different people who watch this sport, who don't feel represented on this sport, just a question for you, Allison, because when you were on a broadcast last year, I got messages from people who didn't know you, but who knew me, who were like, 
saw that I followed you and were like, who is this person? She's amazing. <laughs> Get her on every broadcast. Like, I'm not kidding. Multiple people from the States reached out to me. Are you going to be on broadcast next year? Please say yes. That is currently the plan. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because above and beyond having people who sound a little bit different and aren't white dudes on the broadcast, you are fantastic at weaving in modern analysis on the fly in a way that very, very, very few people can do. So I, I feel like you are a great person to help grow this game. Well, that's very kind. And I appreciate that. And, you know, all credit goes to both the Seattle Kraken who are willing to take a chance on me and the team at Root Sports Northwest, which is our network there. Um, I can't say enough about the teams at both of those organizations to take someone who's never done TV before and say, hey, we think you can give this a shot. Um, special shout out to my producer, Scott Malone at Root, um, who deservedly won an Emmy for his work this year. Um, but, you know, I think that that's one of the things I appreciate most about the Kraken, if I can speak on them for a second, for in sure. that they want to do this whole NHL thing differently. They want this team and they want the organization behind the team to reflect the community that they are in. And that means looking at diverse hires, not just to check off a box, but to say, we really want to make sure we have the best people to do this work. And we're going to dig deeper. and We're going to take the extra effort to find those people who maybe thought they would never even be considered. And, you know, the, if I, if I am any good at my job, it's because as I would encourage anyone to do on hearing different voices or even learning anything is listen. I make mistakes all the time and it's people like you and it's people like Arik and people in our community who have taught me so much and I'm still learning. And that's, that's how we all get better as we say, I think this, you know, if someone checks me on anything I said on this show tonight, I'll be like, okay, well, interesting. Let's talk about it. And maybe we both come away smarter for it. So I certainly don't claim to know anything. There's a lot more to, to take in, but I'm having a lot of fun and I owe it um, to two organizations who are willing to take a chance. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I think there's this big part of like the hockey analytics community that everyone boosts each other up in a way, right? Like even if cool. it's not direct, it's you're learning something from somebody else that, or seeing a perspective that you might not have thought about that then you approach your analysis in that way. And you're like, Hey, it's super interesting. But I, I'm just so glad that you were able to come on for this, Allison. We'll cut it here because I know that you've got a life to get back to, and I've got uh, kids that wake up in a few hours here. They're super cute. They They're are super, super cute. cute. They are very difficult. <laughs> 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 I will say that uh, people aren't honest about how difficult it is uh, when you're starting out the family. It's only after they're like, yeah, we knew all along, and uh, we didn't want to scare <laughs> you away. But it is difficult. Uh, walk in with your eyes open, but I do love them. They're amazing. Thank you, everyone, for following along with this first year of Game Over. It's been a passion project for me. We have so much more in the pipeline coming up. We're going to have a draft party in Montreal on the Friday. I will be with Adam and Jesse on the day of the draft. Not exactly sure what we're doing yet, but after the draft is over, I'll be out around town. You can send me a message on Twitter and see where we are. Um, happy Pride Month. And get active in fighting what's going on in the United States, especially if you're American and if you're Canadian, stay vigilant because there's lots of people up here who want to do the same thing. Luckily, it's a lot more difficult to accomplish that here, but it's not impossible. So 
pay attention to who you're voting for. And uh, voting is just the smallest thing you can do in democracy to be active. Uh, continue to support people who will support you. Uh, thank you, Allison. Follow Allison on Twitter at Allison L. And before we close it out for the year, oh, my power just went out, I think. Uh, Allison, where can everybody find your work? Yep. So you can find most of my writing is on the Seattle Kraken website. Um, under the news, there's actually a little heading for analytics with Allison. Um, my broadcast work is again on Root Sports Northwest. Um, and I do everything um, through Twitter. Also, I'm on a podcast, Too Many Men, with the amazing Sarah Sivian and Shana Goldman. Um, and we put all of that through on our Twitters. Again, it's at Allison L. And I have to say, I've just been so amazed with what you've done with this whole brand. I think it's super cool. I finally made it onto a Steve Dangle approved show. A dream achieved all these years, Steve. Finally. I'm going to have to give Steve crap if you actually wanted to be on and they haven't had you on yet because that's unacceptable. I'll, I'll get, I mean, I give Steve crap every single day for every possible thing. So it won't be out of character. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Allison. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will see you at the draft. And then next year, I'm going to take some time off. Deserve. See you later. <laughs>